If you enjoy the show, share it with a friend. You can find us at facebook.com slash show, and you can visit our new home on the web at www.tracktune.com slash slipangle. You can also leave us reviews and ratings in the iTunes store. To Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and today I'm at Control Engineering in Sacramento, California, with our buddy Justin Ross. What's going on, Justin? Good. Yourself? Doing great. So you've been on the show a couple times, uh, but now here I am in your, uh, pretty much in your house. Yeah, and we've gotten lucky. We've met up uh, twice already, I think. Yeah. Just at random at events. racetracks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now you get to join us at my place of, of work and slash living. And uh, you got a little cot over in the other room, right? Exactly. (laughs) It's been many hours here. Yeah, so you got to check out the shop and yeah, and yeah, it's all, awesome. We'll be uh, be posting some stuff up on on the website too, probably before the show comes out because right now we're a couple couple weeks out on the show, so that's fine. So yeah, but I really appreciate you taking the time and showing me around. I mean, you guys have a very nice facility here. Thank you. Yeah, we we take a lot of pride in in the facility and the upkeep of it, um, and it it always helps make our life easier when the shop's nice and clean and yeah, we can find everything that we have and be able to use what we do have and go from there. Yeah. Now, what's the background of control engineering? Uh, so control is is a morph off of Valley Motorworks. Um, Valley Motorworks was the founder of Specky 30 in, in Northern California. Okay. Um, and then from there, it's kind of moved to Southern California and around. Um, now, did Specky 30 start up here originally just to begin no, with? No, Specky 30 actually started down in socal if i remember correctly okay um two cars kind of a pilot series trying to take off never really caught any real traction down there um ended up buying the original owner valley ended up buying one of the original cars um started building from there back in 2006 if i remember correctly okay kind of taken off from there um it's morphed into control engineering we've probably built over 30 specky 30s in that time uh and now we're working with the specky 46s and have eight of those under our belt already in in a year so it's all been it's all been great great workings yeah yeah i mean and it looks like i mean right now i think you guys have a decent amount of like arrive and drive customers too Correct. So you're taking care of the cars. You built them and you maintain them and you take them to the events and make sure everything's running well. Yeah. Um, we do we do everything it complete ground ups. I mean a car comes to us as a as a fairly nice street car and we turn it around and subframes off, um, do the cage work ourselves in house, do okay. the motor stuff in house, turn into a full blown race car and maintain it for the, the life of the car pretty okay. much. Now, when people, you know, have you build a car, do you usually help them find chassis or, you know, do they usually bring one that they found already to you? Depends. We have we have some customers that bring their own chassis. Um, We do source chassis for other customers. Um, Some of them would rather go with what we find and what we would like as a chassis or as a donor. Uh, Some people bring whatever, say, they bought at an auction or something like that to turn into a donor. Okay. Um, it all depends on the customer. We're, we're very flexible 
Usually, what? are they using just a you know a bone stock car that they just bought specifically for this, D- or are there people that have like you know track day cars that no. bring them to you to get turned into spec Tr- cars? Traditionally, most of them are uh, stock cars or virgins that get converted into full blown race cars. Okay, um, a lot of the the track day stuff isn't really applicable unless you have built it as a track day car yeah, with that in mind kind correct. of correct yeah, yeah you've built it with the end goal of turning it into a spec e30 yeah um or spec e46 for that matter but for the most part it is virgins that come to us that we transform okay and and work into the full blown race car okay we've done track day cars as well though like you saw the e46 m3 that's sitting out there and uh we had talked about the 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 two Spec three cars yeah. that we ended up turning into GTS track day cars yeah, like with S52s yeah, and then two yeah. E36s. We put they were originally 328s and we did S52s, uh, uh, AP racing, big, big brake package, yada, yada, yada. Okay. And turned those into nice GTS cars. Um, and we're dabbling more and more into Miatas now. So, still have my God, car. Who made that happen? Yeah, I know. God, that guy. <laughs> uh, still have my car. Um, repeated that same two flat lap time again last time at Button Willow. Nice. Can't get into the 59s. Can't get into the 59s yet, We're trying man. with 119 <laughs> horsepower. We're trying, but it's not happening yet. You need a strong tailwind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need <laughs> right down the front straight away. Um, and only there, because if it's blowing that way, correct, it holds going down the other way, else. it's yeah. going to slow you down. I just need a tailwind everywhere around the track. <laughs> um, uh, we just finished up our, our second NC roll bar. So that yeah, I saw out, that on Facebook. Yep, that came out beautiful. Okay, um, customer was extremely happy with that. So we've been dabbling around, playing around with everything. Um, did a Corvette roll bar recently. Oh, know. nice. What so, uh, what chassis? Uh, C five. Okay. So it's kind of fun with the wood floors, but yeah. What are you gonna do? Use wood nails. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, gorilla glue. We found. Yeah, there you go. Just just gorilla glue the main <laughs> hoop down. Nobody knows. Yeah. No, uh, so we had some fun playing around with that car and put some race techs in it and have to say hi to Brian from race tech. It's been really nice. We have race techs in pretty much, I think, all of our cars. Make a really comfortable seat. It's, it's the best seat on the market easily. Um, they're in – where are they located? They're actually back up in Reno. Oh, okay. So yeah, I thought, they they were, were, I thought they were in – They in, were in North Carolina in for a while. Okay. Yeah, and they had, then, now they have moved back to Reno. Okay. And, Not too uh, far away. No, no, it's nice for us. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, that's what we've been doing recently. The recent projects. Okay. So now for for the spec cars, um, how long does it usually take to build? Like, how many hours would you say go into like a spec E thirty and a spec E forty six? From from a from a donor. From a donor, spec E forty six is probably around three hundred hours. Oh wow. Um, a spec E30, if it's a ground up, it's a little bit easier, probably the 240, 230 area. Okay. Um, a lot of what wraps up in the E46 is the wiring. Okay. You saw the big 55 yeah, the, yeah, big drum <laughs> of just wires. Um, the E30s are a bit easier. It's, it's easier to make weight on the E30s and we don't have to go to the extremes that we do on the E46s to get all the weight out. Okay. So... I know there was a, a lot of weight and like sound deadening yeah. stuff in the 46s, isn't yeah. there? 
Yeah, it takes us a while to take all that stuff yeah, out. Yeah, I too. can imagine. Heat and, and dry ice and so, on certain ones and heat on some other style. and mm-hmm. It takes a while to get it all out. Yeah. And so I, I guess by this point, though, you guys kind of have it down to a science. You yeah. Know, for, for both the, the E30 and the E46. Yep, we know the steps. We know, we know what needs to go first, what needs to go next. Um, time frames for that kind of thing so we know when we can slip in. Other projects, if need be, or right. or you know, we know where an ending point can be, so we can prepare for a race weekend and okay, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, we have it down pretty, pretty, yeah, down. <laughs> I can't think right now. I'm trying to think, we're, we're down to myself and and one other employee, and and you guys got a lot going on, man. Yeah, and well, I've worked um, with him now for eight years. Okay, with my with the employee that's outside, so we we know each other very nicely yeah we're, we're good friends outside of work and everything and okay we know we know what we both need to do without exactly having to talk to each other to get things done yeah so it, it works out nice okay now from you know for specy 30 i know the class up here is rather large yep um i think you know we were talking earlier pretty much outside of the southeast or along with the southeast is pretty much the largest specy 30 fields essentially yep um how many do you guys typically have at, at nasa events we're anywhere from 25 to 35 on any okay. given weekend wow i think nationals we tipped over 40 this year okay um and got maximum contingencies for that <clears throat> but yeah it's 25 to 35 from norcal alone okay and you're saying that there were so many people that run specy 30s around that that secca has a regional class Yep. So right. SCC has accepted a regional class for Spec E30 okay. and Spec E46 um, okay. up here. And it's funny if you, I think this is the only class that does it too. If you go into the rule book for SCCA NorCal at least, and you're trying to look up the rules for SC46 or SC30, it says please refer to NASA's rules. Really? Yeah, it just specifically says that in the box huh. for the rules, please. <laughs> or for, uh, we talked about uh, Spec E46 has regional classing for T3 for okay. SCCA. Yeah. And in, in the T3 book, again, it says must run in NASA rule spec or whatever wow. for, for T3. Okay. So is that including tires too yep. then? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think, though, they become open tire manufacturer for T3. Okay. So um, it's just the same, the same size. The same size. Right. You still have to run your – it's a 255.40 this year. Right. Um, but how are, those, be... how are those working out? Because when we talked at, at 25 hour, it was still at 235. Correct. So we, we have learned a decent amount. There is um, a little bit differences in setups okay. um, that we have we have played with. Uh, pressures all in all, you know, we had to take the rear spacers we were using out of the rear wheels. Just to get them to fit? Yeah, just to get them to fit and, yeah. and roll and beat the fenders like crazy yeah. on the rear. The front, the front was fine. It was an easy swap. Okay. Um, but there was some small setup changes that we had to make. And beyond that, everything everything else has worked fine. After we tuned it and played with it, we found about a second, second and a half or so from a 255. Wow. Okay. The 235s were pretty undersized for yeah. the... Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty... I mean, it's a light <clears throat> car for the size of the car. Correct. But it's still a heavy car when you consider race weight for most cars. Correct. Uh, we're 22850 with driver. Yeah. Um, but... For the speeds that we were going and and the braking forces and all that kind of stuff, a two thirty five was really undersized. What's the feedback from a lot of the drivers? It's been positive. There yeah. are a couple of guys that are still trying to burn off their two thirty fives before okay. they make the swap to the fifty fives, 
but all, all said and done, it's been positive. The cars are are easier to drive now. They're not as much on the knife edge like they used to be with the 35s. Okay. Uh, and the the taller profiles have really helped. The taller sidewalls have really helped um, control the cars over the curbs and actually stopped most of our ball joint failures, oh, which nice. was a big issue. Okay. It's like a little extra suspension. Yeah, exactly. We were, we were having some problems with control arm ball joints, but okay. the 55s seem to really help that. Now, have you had a lot of seat time in like a Specky forty six or Specky thirty at all? Uh, yeah, I'm. And, and how's it compared to a Miata? <laughs> ah, there's the golden question. Yeah, uh, compared to at least my Miata, the E thirties roll like you would not believe. Yeah, um, you can see it in pictures. <laughs> oh yeah, it's very soft suspension. All said, I mean they're H and R race springs, and we will be polite to H and R here, but the race springs are just very or they're just aggressive street springs yeah all said and done yeah um sway bars are kind of on the small side and then you're running a 205 this on is a, in the e30 yeah, right? yeah yeah you're running a 205 on a for a 2700 pound car yeah um torque is nice uh coming from the miata into <laughs> yeah, you're like what into an torque? e30 you put your foot down and things actually happen besides yeah. noise and you're like oh wow <laughs> I could get used to this. So uh, out here, Specky 30 and Spec Miata are very competitive with each other. They run about the same lap times. Okay. Um, I'm about a second and a half, two seconds slower in a Specky 30 than my Miata. Okay. Um, a Specky 46, on the other hand, is a monster. Yeah. Uh, for being a Spec car, I mean, the things I can compare them to are maybe like a Spec Z or a Spec 911. Okay. They are very fast you can get third gear wheel spin if you're not careful um the the suspension needs a little bit of work still that we're playing with but it's pretty well sorted now that we have I a forget, general are package the, are the spring rates are they is it a spec spring rate yep spec spring rate and spec okay. shock okay yeah it's and mcs's strut. right yeah for, mcs strut yeah. shock hyperco springs okay what um, spring rates uh 750 front 850 rear okay we've been playing around with that we're not 100 percent happy but Everybody's in the same boat, yeah. so we're trying to make something that works for us. Um, but I mean, we're, we're talking Thunder Hill or here. Actually, I can give you like like Buttonwillow CW thirteen. We're fifty sevens, fifty eights. Okay, and it's it's definitely a much faster car. The brakes are massive. Yeah, they're almost up to the same braking level as the Miata. So we're almost pulling over a G in braking alone. Wow. What kind of horsepower do those E46s make? Uh, two, we're limited to 225. Okay. Um, we've seen some junkyard motors already do over that. Really? We've seen junkyard motors do under that. <laughs> it's a wide variance. Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen as high as 228, 229 on a that's, junkyard. That's not the other, the only thing that they have variance in, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, torque is nice and healthy, 230, 225, yeah. 230. And that's the big thing. The, the max torque on those motors is something like 3,300 RPMs, 3,400 RPMs. Okay. So, it's way down low and you have yeah. a huge torque band and then the horsepower picks up for the rest. So, yeah. it's, it's a very drivable car. It makes a very nice endurance car. As we used during the 25 hour, yeah. just have to figure out how to make those windows stop fogging up. And <laughs> you just make sure it doesn't rain. <laughs> there you go. If it doesn't rain, the car works great yeah. for the entire endurance race. <laughs> if it does rain, every BMW is going to pull in with a fogged up windshield. Yeah. So, man, just take the windshield out. There you go. And the rear window. Yeah. No fogging issues whatsoever. <laughs> That'd be perfect. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's what you wear a helmet for, right? Exactly. We'll, we'll do the wheel, guys. exactly the the aerodynamic open wheel helmets yeah <laughs> put air into the intake a little bit better 
So, well, I know we've had you on the show a decent amount, but we haven't really talked about like how you got into racing and driving and stuff like that. Um, so you kind of want to like walk us through that. I'm sure yeah. there's, there's a long story. Well, that was there, very long, very uh, long story. We kind of like to ask a lot of our, you know, the people that are on the show how they got into it. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, we were talking before that you raced BMX for a while, like yep. I did, and and it seems like a bunch of other people <laughs> that kind yeah. of find themselves in this this sort of hobby they did started, as well. I started actually before that on dirt. Oh, really? Um, I around four or five. I can't. I think it was four. Uh, Dad ended up getting a dirt go kart. Okay. For some trade for some AC work he used to do, and I actually started in that. Okay. So it was just a lawnmower motor with some wheelbarrow wheels on the back or something and steering wheel in the front and yeah. started that when I was four and five we had upgraded to Briggs and Stratton Fun Power. Okay. By age eight or nine it had a, a monster Briggs and Stratton in it like making 10 or 11 horsepower. Oh wow. So and it was Prairie City which is our local OHV. Were you guys running those on uh, weren't people running those on like methanol back in the day? You could. Yeah. You my, could. My, my, my uncle had like a Tecumseh motor. I don't even know if they're still around. I most but, of them are under yeah, from the Briggs and Stratton days. Yeah, so this was like in the late nineties, I think. Yeah, but exactly. I remember the that the smell was awesome at the yeah, track. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, our local OHV park was nice enough to have. It wasn't like um, ovals. It was almost like short course truck racing. Really, except for little go karts. So we With had like jumps and suspension yeah, and stuff. Yeah. So we had really? we had ten or twelve kids that were all doing it at the time. That's pretty cool. Um, and and it was interesting at age nine, age ten. You know, was it come, a course built for that, or yeah. was it? No, it was just a little oh. course. We have it's a massive OHV park, and okay. they have rock crawling and all so sorts of stuff. It's like a BMX track essentially, but you're yeah, the jumps running. weren't as big, okay. but okay. yeah, like that. Um, you know, being age nine and coming out of a corner, power sliding and trying to find, trying to find the groove and everything, and yeah. get up on the cushion and lots of stuff that that a lot of people don't know or experience. Yeah. Um, from there, I transferred into BMX. That somehow seemed to be the next logical step. Ended up doing that for four to five years. Okay. Um, ended up being an expert up here in Northern California and traveling around and having fun. From there, jumped onto motorcycles. Um, like I said, as we talked about, I was 15 then and still 5'0 and 100 pounds. <laughs> And cross-riding while you're going up a jump face and the bike going left and being 100 pounds, the bike is going to continue to go left. <laughs> and your choice is, do you want to go with it or do you want to jump off? Um, got tired of that, jumping off while being 15 feet in the air. Um, switched over to Yamaha Supercan carts. Okay. Did that for about it's two like years. like 100cc? 100cc, yeah, yeah. KT100. Yeah. Had an Emic chassis. Did that from 15 to 17. Okay. Um, started working, kind of took a uh, relax from go karts. Ended up in a Miata in 2011, okay. 2012. 11. 2012, I met Ken from Garage Star. Right. Um, and that's kind of where everything kicked off. And we are here now sitting as national TTE champion and NorCal TTE champion. And racing pt this year and hoping to race hell yeah and, and have yeah, fun right. you have comp school coming up right uh, i already, you already do it i already passed it okay how was it uh it was easy yeah luckily and then it decided to r rain on saturday or it rained on sunday which is my first official race <laughs> 
and ended up winning by a comfortable margin. Okay. It was two minutes and 16 seconds or something. <laughs> We're, I was ended up going 12 seconds or 13 seconds a lot faster than anybody else in class. Wow. Not really pushing it, but yeah. I didn't, at least I didn't think I was pushing it. And then I looked up behind me and I was like, oh, there's no one there. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So I just kept working off and picking off the Specky 46s and the other cars that started in front of me, the Honda <laughs> Challenge guys. And I was like, okay. Were any of them your customers? Uh, no, like I didn't, no, no, no I didn't catch up to the customers. <laughs> okay. I stayed far enough behind them that I didn't have to catch up to them. But <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it all started, trying to make it to the, the road for the 24 this year. Yeah. Um, willing to give that a shot. Also, try to do the Mazda shootout if they are going to have it next year. Okay. Um, see where that kind of takes me. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think I, I think the ability is there to do it. Mm-hmm. Is can we get all the other stars and planets aligned right and yeah. go from there? Yeah. So. You but yeah, the, you can work the i racing angle too, man. I I did. <laughs> uh, so I did finish top. It was 2011. I was top 64 for GT Academy. Okay. Yeah, we uh, uh, we recently had Steve Doherty on, who won yeah. in 2012. Yeah, he won the so year. He's after. actually down in LA right now. I'm supposed to meet ah. up with him in a couple of days. Yeah, I ended up doing that in 2011. I was still using a controller at the time. Okay. So I was. That's top, pretty impressive, man. Top 10 for the controller guys or something, okay. and and. Yeah, how do they break it down, like? Can they tell if you're using a controller? Yeah, or a when wheel? you when you sign up, you have to list if you're if you're using a controller, if yeah. you're using a steering wheel. Okay. And uh, I think 2011, 2012 was kind of the crossover point where the GT or Gran Turismo and Polyphony finally got the the tire loading simulation correct mm-hmm. to where the steering wheels are faster. Um, than the controllers because back in three and four and all those games the controller was definitely faster but i think they finally started to get everything right and the steering wheels were starting to go faster and faster Mm -hmm. and i have a very hard time seeing you making the top top 500 in gt academy with a controller anymore yeah you have to have a steering wheel and a rig now yeah Um, i know sometimes like you look at the times and you're just like holy crap yeah how did they even do that well hours and i can tell you in 2011 i probably spent 400 hours oh really for gt academy okay just trying to to find a tenth here and there and yeah you know to the point where where i shouldn't say this but i know everyone else did it <laughs> you know you're trying to drop two wheels in strategic places or something trying without to find getting dq exactly like, trying to find the, find, find without... an area where you can you know where can you run two wheels off track and how far before it dqs your time and yeah I mean that that was the angle you had to do it and try to squeeze every tenth out of it. Yeah. And and that's that's how you had to work the system. And I remember it was a big issue on one of the tracks because there was ways you can cut the track significantly and not get your time invalidated to the point where they threw out the results. Really? And we all had to to start over again on different tracks and everything <laughs> like that and do it all over again. So See, I remember when I was playing playing Gran Turismo a lot, I used to love running the Nürburgring. Yep. In a uh what a, a VW Polo Cup car? Sure. In GT5 maybe? Yeah, I've been yeah, GT5. But was there in... was one part of the track where like that car wasn't fast enough, so you could actually like the track goes to the to the left. And then kind of has a sweeper back yeah, to the right. Yeah, yeah. There's a big grass area. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can you go straight over line the grass. It. You yeah. can straight line so it in the slow cars. The trick with, I can't remember if it was five or if it was four, but there was one of the challenge races where you would run the the AMG McLaren, mm-hmm. 
and uh, or the SLS McLaren. No, no, that wasn't SLS. What was it? I don't. One of the McLaren Mercedes SLR. There you okay. go. Okay. And yeah, that was one of the tricks where you know you were trying to catch the 300 goal wing that was way out in front that started four minutes before you started or something. <laughs> You'd be cutting the track everywhere and anywhere <laughs> and just running straight through to try to get to try to catch it. And it still yeah. wasn't a. You could do it dead on right, and it still wasn't a guarantee that you were going to catch the 300 SL. Yeah. So. But, uh, yeah, there are areas uh, – Gran Turismo done a great job in, in limiting the ability to do that by – I'm sure in 6, if you notice, if you go off track in 6, it slows you way down yeah. and, and makes it a mute point. You can't Which do is it weird anymore. because in a car, whenever you hit the grass, the car seems to accelerate. Correct, yeah. So it's not very lifelike. No, it isn't, <laughs> but I, I think they had to do it from the standpoint of there's so many people exploiting certain areas yeah. that – it was kind of ruining the the, the experience the experience for yeah. everyone else that's trying to really you know take it real and have fun yeah so but yeah i ended up playing i played gran turismo i guess i left that out of my driving thing i guess it's valid now thanks to guys <laughs> like wolfgang rape and all, all of the gt academy guys in in blanc pond and in gt3 overseas yeah um i've played gran turismo since gran turismo one yeah um all the way through the series i've beat all of them except six i've done drifting videos racing videos you know one of the the first guys in in four to go under five minutes at the nurburgring okay in a 88 in the toyota minolta 88 cv car or whatever everyone else is using but how long did that take to get to uh, a while yeah. and then when you finally do it the first time you get was lower that with shortcuts no that was not with shortcuts because no? okay. you couldn't control the car <laughs> if it wasn't on the asphalt um I ended up getting down to a 456. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was like once you, you know, once you finally break that five minute barrier, then you're shaving off three tenths here and four tenths yeah. there, and you get you get a 59.7, a 59.8, and but just like just like at the at the track, like yeah. in general, like yeah, once you break that are barrier, easy to lose, but then you get to a certain point, and then it's like tenths here, yeah, it's tenths here, and tenths there, yeah. And I mean that was that was nights of just coming home and turning it on and getting halfway through the track and restarting because you went off somewhere yeah. or you messed a corner up or something and going so what you're again. saying is you're really quick on the first part of the track yeah because you've driven it more yeah, yeah, than yeah. all the others exactly you reset right exactly <laughs> you know you end up you end up doing if you ended up doing 300 completed laps i can guarantee you you've done 1500 times on the first quarter to half of the track yeah so my favorite thing to always do was you know when you're playing just in like arcade mode and you go into a corner and all like especially at the start like turn yeah. one all the cars are lined up you just cut to the inside and use them as kind of like a guardrail <laughs> yeah. and you just, just run like around shot around <laughs> yeah. them uh, off against them that's so that is that is the area where where i know we've gone like completely side tangent now <laughs> but um that's the area where forza was much better or i mean even uh if you wanted to argue even grid from um yeah. codemasters the AI was the strong point in those games, where the AI is extremely weak in in Gran Turismo. Yeah, you know it can't adapt, it can't run a realistic pace. It it has its own kind of set schedule kind of thing. Where in it, like Grid and Forza, the, the AI is actually yeah, pretty. You start driving aggressive. Yeah, the other they're pretty up aggressive. there. Yeah, um, Codemasters. I've always said Codemasters is they've probably designed some of the most fun racing games to play. Yeah, they aren't just because like, the competitors. Yeah, like Dirt <laughs> Dirt Two. I had so much fun online with Dirt 2 yeah. um, because the handling and the cars and that kind of stuff coming from the, the dirt carts and everything, it wasn't 100% realistic, but it was realistic enough. Yeah. 
and it was arcade-ish just enough that you got a bigger group of people that were good at the game. And, and you know, it was really big in Europe, and that's when I worked uh, graveyards. Okay. So I'd come home 2 in the morning, 1 in the morning, flip it on, put in Dirt 2 and play with all the Europeans. And, and I mean, it was it was great fun. Yeah. It's more more so fun on your than resume I had. if you added international racing experience. Yeah, exactly. I should. I mean, <laughs> I know I know when French people were mad at me, and and, and that was about it. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it was it was that was some of the most fun I had in, in terms of online rooms and games. Because also, you know, as long as it wasn't as long as you weren't getting punted, you know, some rubbing for rallycross and that kind of stuff was racing, and and it was okay to rub and you know slightly hit people and expect to hit back and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you didn't punt and completely take the person out, then then it was fine, and it seemed to make the rooms a lot of fun. And yeah. the cars were well balanced. You know, cars had their strong points and their weak points, and you had to pick which one you wanted. And I think they did a really good job. They kind of lost that edge with Dirt Three a little bit. Um, they focused too much on the Jim Connor craze, I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, they start like kind of getting a little trendy. Like I hate yeah. to say it, but like even like Forza Horizon was kind of yeah, exactly same kind yeah. of thing. Um, but we'll see the new the new dirt. They went back to the Colin McRae roots. Mm-hmm. It's really focused on rallying and rally cross. Um, so that's looking like it's already been getting a lot of good reviews. That looks like it's going to be a good game that yeah. might finally you know convince me to go buy one of the new new gens and yeah. play that game. Do you ever do any uh, any karting or any motocross stuff anymore? Or? Uh, motocross, definitely not. Yeah, I'm I'm too old and, and fragile, and I don't <laughs> bounce as well as I did when I was 15. Um, karting here and there, a lot of you know my friends. We go indoor karting still. Yeah, there's two places here in Sacramento. Yeah, there's driver something. I there's, pass on the way here. I think. Uh, there's K1 Speed and there's Go Kart Racer. Okay. Um, Driven is a little bit. Yeah, that's what Driven's in Vacaville. They're a little bit farther down. Okay. Um, but. Either that or I go down to Sonoma and I go over in a tag cart for a little bit and have okay. some fun there and come back. Um, it's not anywhere near as serious as I used to, but it's still fun once in a while to get in a cart. Yeah. There's nothing like flying around 40, 50 miles an hour with your, <laughs> your ass two inches <laughs> off the ground. One thing we've been talking to a lot of our listeners about, too, is the fact that, you know, for karting, even if you don't want to do it competitively, I mean, if you buy a cart and you have time during the week or even a weekend, yeah. you can usually go and get seat time for very cheap compared yeah. to racetracks. Exactly. Um, so, well, like car racetracks. Obviously right. Obviously, it's a go-kart racetrack. But. Prairie, Prairie's 10 bucks and it's all day. Yeah. You know, you bring your own cart, Yeah. 10 bucks, you can use the track all day. Yeah. And like every day. Yeah, so every you day. Go, you Monday, go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Exactly. They have yeah. gas there. You pump your own gas. You know, you're paying for gas and, and hop in your cart and go around and I hope you don't flip or at least hope somebody's paying attention that there's some noise on the track. Yeah. And and go from there. It's it's extremely cost effective track time. I mean, a set of tires is much cheaper than a set of race tires. Yeah. And, and it is a great way to get seat time. Um, or even I tell a lot of people that just are trying to get interested in it, uh, indoor carts, mm-hmm. because you don't have to have the overhead of paying for your own cart. It is a little bit more expensive, but, um, the upside with that is, you know, if you are serious about driving or racing, you have to learn how to work your way through traffic Yeah, because there's a lot of people that go to those indoor cart places that aren't professional race car drivers. And, you know, they're your, your, well, I can't say that on air, but you know they're your your <laughs> typical f boys that yeah. that bring their girlfriends or whatever, and 
and you know think they're their big hot shot and go out there and completely overdrive and you kind of have to figure out a way to get around them while they're wildly that's, going to out me, of control that's like the most rewarding part yeah you know, like fast lap times are cool but when yeah. you get stuck behind traffic and you have to figure out how to like get around them cleanly <clears throat> and quickly yeah because longer- although sometimes you know i i've said it before uh indoor karting i do kind of tend to drive a little more like a douche yes yeah. Because I can, because there's bumpers and well, like I've, if there's a there's gap, a belt. I can dive bomb somebody on the yeah. inside and be like, yeah, we can squeeze through there. And so <laughs> I've actually started wearing my my Hans, my next gen, oh, yeah? to indoor karting places because I've been, you know, people not paying attention or I'm sitting there warming up my tire. And this happens at least once or twice a month. Huh. Um, we'll go out, you know, from the, the pit road and I'll start warming up my tires and I'll go go through one of the corners like a hairpin or something. And some yabo thinks that because he's now on track, it's immediately green flag and go for it. And I get completely T-boned or nailed or something. And it, you know, after the third or fourth time doing it, I just started wearing my head and neck restraint to the yeah. the indoor place because I was like, I'm tired of my neck hurting. <laughs> it just sucks. So, yeah, that's that's another very viable option. Um, I know K1 speed. If you start getting too aggressive or too crazy, they'll start churning your cart down. Yeah. So you can't go – it's electric over there. So yeah. you can't go as fast. And then they have stored history. So, you know, if you have – You need to sign up under a different name every time. Nah, no. If you have <laughs> like, you know, they have four lights. And if you're a one light, you only get 70% of the power or something hmm. that you, you would get. If you're, say, four lights, you get, you know, the full 100%. Yeah. And they only give the the four lights to people that have been there enough or gone fast enough to exhibit – the correct experience to use that last 10% of power or something. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's where it all started. I, Oh, I, um, speaking of which, I forgot I did this too. Uh, the, the Red Bull junior program. Oh really? I did the tryouts and everything for the go-karts here, made it okay. to the second round. I ended up losing to Scott speed. So, <laughs> you know, don't feel bad. I uh, no, I don't. He ended up going to formula one and is now has a very successful rally cross career and everything. Yeah. But yeah, I ended up losing to him in the second round, and then he went on and okay. ended up winning the whole thing for America. Huh. So, Well, if you're going to lose to somebody, it's not a bad person to lose I'd, to. I'd rather lose to the person that's going to win it all. Yeah. I was saying, yeah, well, yeah, I got knocked <laughs> out in the second round, but I lost to the guy who won it all. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to beat. Yeah. So he was he was insanely fast back then. <laughs> it was scary. Well, awesome. Well, yeah. we really appreciate your time. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to have... Somebody else from the shop on here soon in just a second. Um, So you guys sit tight, and we'll go to a Ross Bentley Speed Secret, and we'll be right back. I'm sure you've heard the term target fixation, and and particularly as it applies to to vision. Um, I like to call it potholism. You know, potholism, it's a disease that a lot of drivers have when they drive on the street. You know, they're driving down the road and they see a pothole in the middle of the road, and they're driving along going, oh, I see that pothole. Don't hit it, don't hit it, don't hit it. Boom, and they drive through it. Why? Because they looked at it. That's target fixation. Because wherever you look is where you're, you're going to steer. Um, any, any of you have ever done any mountain biking or motocross riding or whatever, you know that if, if you look at a rock, you're going to find your way to hit it, right? That's what target fixation is all about. The good news is that you can actually train yourself to have target fixation fixating your vision on nothing. Uh, you know, uh, what I'd like you to think about is practice looking at nothing. So this is something you can do when you're on the track, but it's something you can do in your everyday driving as well, is practice looking at the openings, practice looking at the gap, practice looking at nothing. 
You know, it, as simple as when we pull into a parking spot, you know, well, you've probably seen some people who are not very good at parking. What they typically do is they look at the edges of the cars next to them and they get so focused on the car that that's where they start to go to. If you focus on the spot, the gap, the nothing in between, that's where the car is going to go. And the more you do that in your everyday driving, the better you're going to get at that when you're driving the track. When is this most important on the track? Yeah, when somebody spins in front of you. You know, uh, one of the worst things that can happen is somebody spinning in front of you and you going, ah, and you driving directly into that vehicle. So what you really, really want to do is get to the point where you've got to have it, a mental program for looking at the opening, the nothing. And the more you practice that in your everyday driving, the better you're going to be doing that on the street, practicing building your target fixation, fixating on nothing. And we're back. Thanks, Ross, for that speed secret. For more on Ross and speed secrets, you can visit speedsecrets.com. All right. And now we're back with uh, Dave Trucks, um, owner here at Control Engineering. How's it going, Dave? Good. How are you? Doing great. Thanks so much for, for joining us and for allowing me to come and talk to you and to Justin and kind of see the shop. Glad, glad to have you here and really, you know, nice of you to stop by so that we can share our story with you. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. You know, I I met Justin at Miatas at Laguna Seca, um, you know, a couple months ago. And then, uh, obviously, we kind of talked a little bit about the shop and what you guys do at uh, the 25-hour. Um, you know, we did a nice show with him and with Natasha and with Je or with uh, with Greg, um, you know, after the race. And now I'm glad that I can finally be here and kind of see everything. So um, Justin told us a little bit about the shop. Uh, but being that you are the one that have been here pretty much the whole time, uh, you kind of want to give us a little background on the shop and, and kind of how you got into everything? Well, the shop started, uh, it's coming up on its 11th anniversary, and it, and it originally started as just a, a service and repair center. Valley Motorworks is the service side of our business, and then, of course, control engineering is, is the racing side. So we really felt that there was a need to have what I call Sacramento's original dealership alternative. In other words, you don't have to go to the dealership to have your BMW or Mini serviced, and that's how we started out was strictly BMW and Mini. Okay. Since then, we've now branched out into Audi and Volkswagen. Um, we don't have any ambitions to, to start working on Porsches or Mercedes, nothing okay. against Stuttgart, but, <laughs> uh, but I'm Bavarian by blood, and I'm going to keep it that way. Yeah. Um, Control evolved back in 2008 uh, when it was still under the under the umbrella of Valley Motorworks in the Spec E30 series. So okay. uh, my former business partner was one of the, the West Coast founders of Spec E30 and was instrumental in getting that thing launched and off the ground. And uh, now, today, we, we maintain several E30s, as I'm sure Justin told you. Yeah uh for for various customers here in northern california and we've uh with the advent of the spec e46 race series we we've also branched out into that so not only are we we building cars uh but we're also maintaining those cars both in-house and then we have some customers that take their cars with them but then they ship them back to us or trailer them back to us for for various little projects that they can't 
tackle at home. Okay. Now, are most of your customers out of the Bay Area, or do you have people coming from further away? We've got customers uh, up and down the state. Okay. Um, we've got customers uh, uh, coming in from, from Nevada. Okay. Um, so we're, we're, we're not just local. It's what I guess we would consider to be regional. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and Justin was kind of telling us, too, that, um, you know, when, like you said, you're, you guys were kind of instrumental in getting the Spec E30 series off the ground here in Northern California, or, in fact, for, you know, almost the whole state. Because I know, I guess it didn't catch on quite at first with those first two cars that, that they built that Justin was, was kind of explaining to us. Um, and then, you know, I guess you guys bought one of the cars and kind of rebooted up here a little bit. Is that? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was slow getting off the ground at first. Uh, uh, and then once we really got behind the series, I think, I think with any series on a regional level, you've got to have some, some cornerstone shops, if you will, that really support the series. Right. Uh, and, and with Spec E30, that's, that's who we were in 2008. And certainly with Spec E46, that's where we were in 2015 and even moving forward into 2016. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think the draw was with Spec E30? It seemed like, you know, that it had pretty massive growth pretty quickly. Well, I think um, I, I think there's a couple of factors. Number one, affordability. Right. Uh, uh, it's it's <laughs> often I joke about Spec E30 races as this is a formula Ford race with fenders uh, because it is truly a, 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 you know, a parody class and, and the guys up front are the guys who you can put behind the wheel of almost any race car. Right. And they're going to be up front be quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so certainly affordability. Um, uh, back then there was still an abundance of, uh, of E30s of E30s to be <laughs> donated or, converted into race cars yeah uh and and just overall it was the rules were were strict enough that it it, it certainly gave the gives the class structure but loose enough that guys can have fun right yeah if, if you're not racing with a smile on your face then you shouldn't be racing <laughs> that's absolutely true <laughs> so yeah i've always i've always liked the spec e30 series um, mainly because for me, you know, I've never raced Spec E30, but man, they're fun races to watch. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they're so fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. When, when, uh, when somebody can loop it on lap one and be 45 seconds out and come back to, to podium in a 30 minute race, that's some fun racing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Justin was telling me when we were walking around the shop that some, most of the cars are, they're pretty durable. Uh, I think there's one out there that's had uh, its fair share of incidents and keeps getting put back together like Humpty Dumpty, man. They're they're pretty bulletproof <laughs> cars. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was telling me one had been on its roof and uh, had been replaced, and it's still mainly the same car, and it's still quick. By and large. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's um, – I've always thought that Spec E30 was kind of an interesting alternative to Spec Miata. Um, you know, Spec Miata was always kind of a large class that, you know, kind of kept growing, but the cost started getting so high with, you know, what you had to do to be competitive, uh, that I think that's where kind of Spec E30 kind of came in and, 
and was like, hey, you know, we're a nice alternative to not having to spend, you know, $60,000 on a spec Miata to be competitive. Right, <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. And and uh, there's a lot of guys that, that made that conversion from spec Miata yeah. to spec E30. Yeah. Um, now, up here in Northern California, uh, Justin was telling us that there's actually an SECA regional spec E30 class now, too, that's the same same rules, and then obviously you have NASA, uh, but we didn't really talk about if there was a lot of BMW CCA um, stuff up here. Well, BMW CCA in, in California in general has, uh, for for lack of a better term, has, has trailed off in the in the past years. Okay, um, which is unfortunate, but BMW CCA for 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 better or for worse has kind of taken the path that. That SCCA took uh, 30 years ago. Uh, they, they, in my opinion, they've gotten very provincial in their thinking, uh, and and as SCCA did way back when, uh, and now you have the advent of NASA and 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 they're filling the paddock. Yeah. Um, BMW CCA kind of took that same that same path. Um, yeah, because you've actually you've been around for quite a while. I know we were talking. What you went to your first track in like sixty nine, sixty eight, sixty eight. Yeah. So you want to kind of like walk us through that a little bit and what it was like? Sure, sure. I mean, th- these are all tracks. A lot of these tracks don't even exist anymore. <laughs> uh, Ontario Motor Speedway. I had to show Justin on Google exactly what it was. What the heck is this? <laughs> um, you know, Ontario Motor Speedway, Riverside. Right here in, in Northern California, Vaca Valley Raceway that that we've all driven past a million times on I eighty, but mm-hmm. don't know don't what's know there. what it is. <laughs> right, right. Um, and Sears Point when it was still partially a dairy farm. Oh, really? Actually, Sonoma Raceway today. Yeah, but, uh, Sears Point International Raceway in nineteen sixty nine. Okay, and it was an operating dairy farm. Really? Uh, when they weren't racing, they had cows out there. Wow, like just. Kind of all over the track, just like behind the gates. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. It was pretty trippy. You, you, you. So were they out there having to like shovel the track off before events? You'd have to shovel the track. You might have to <laughs> to push something around in the paddock to get it out of the way. Uh, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty awesome. It though. was fun. Yeah, I never knew. I never knew that at all. That's pretty funny though. So yeah, it's 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 uh it's an interesting place. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I started in 1968. My my brother-in-law, who was basically a father figure to me, uh, bought a Formula V and uh, drug me off to to Ontario Motor Speedway and Riverside, Laguna, Sears Point, Portland, uh, all the West Coast tracks. I mean, okay. f- Formula Vs back then, you'd have 60 or 70 cars at a race weekend. Yeah. Um, so was that a pretty affordable class back then? Oh, that was like the most affordable formula class. Yeah, essentially? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the cars were light, so you could tow them with almost anything, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. You could go down, you know, if, if we had Harbor freight back then, you could have bought one of those little Harbor freight <laughs> utility trailers and throw a lawnmower trailer in there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was very affordable and, and, and the fields represented that affordability. And then he uh, he graduated from Formula V into Formula B, which in today's world would be Formula Atlantic. Okay. And um, uh, he raced that for about three or four years, and 
and then had kids and we all know what happens after that you know <laughs> the race car gets sold and and in his case it was it was a lack of lack of funds uh, after somebody decided to drive over his roll hoop at the top of the corkscrew at Laguna Seca. So, Ooh. yeah, we're we're lucky to have him with us today. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, racing was fun back then, and I just kind of, you know, was always around it and and then wound up working for a friend of my brother's who had a little Volkswagen Porsche shop, and a guy came in with a Formula Ford, needed some welding stuff, and six months later there was fewer and fewer streetcars, and, more and more formula cars and <laughs> in fact he's still playing with formula cars today and he's, oh really yeah he's 66 years old okay so did he is he racing formula ford or no 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 he's he's got uh he he went all the way preparing cars uh took took three or four people to indianapolis oh really um was heavily involved in back then formula super v okay and uh is still Doing some vintage stuff with uh, some guys racing Super Vs and and having a good time at it. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's one thing that that I feel like you kind of find the people that get into it and it really hooks them. They stay around forever in some some form or another. You know, there's some people that they'll come and they'll start racing and it'll be like a certain chapter in their life. But for other people, it's like a lifelong thing, right? So, and you seem to be one of those people. Ah, <laughs> uh, that would be me. Yeah, um, started when I was ten. I'll be fifty-eight this month, and I've never really left it. Yeah. Now, do you do a lot of driving yourself? Or? Not so much anymore. Okay. Um, I've got I've got a BMW two thousand two, a seventy five. Oh, okay. That's fully prepared, and I vintage raced that in in uh, in Texas and Oklahoma uh, when we lived back there for six years. Came back out here. Uh, and I've done some high speed driving stuff, but in terms of wheel to wheel stuff out here, I haven't partially because the Northern California sanctioning body for vintage racing, uh, they don't think that my 1975, 2002 is old it's not enough. Not classic enough. Not old enough. Wow. It's got square taillights. Oh, you got to have the roundies, man. Yep. Got to have the roundies. Roundy. Well, you can always just you could fix that and just tell them it's a seventy-two, right? Uh, no, I wouldn't give them an entry <laughs> fee if it was free. No. <laughs> so actually, my my first car was almost a seventy-two TII. So me and my dad found it. Somebody had pulled it apart, um, and it actually restored the body, and then everything else was still in parts and labeled and everything. Uh, we thought it was a great idea, but my mom didn't think it was a great idea. So. Needless to say, that was not my first car. <laughs> your, your your mom probably would have thought differently if she knew what those were worth today yeah yeah i know so my my dad actually when he was stationed in germany he had one that had box flares on it oh cool and uh, had like a half cage in it and everything like somebody had he bought it off a of gi uh, when he was over there that had to move back and didn't want to bring it with him my mom refused to ride in it because it had a fire extinguisher mounted in it oh no she, it just made her feel unsafe so <laughs> but that's my mom for you i love my mom cool she doesn't always agree but so here at Control, I mean, there's a lot of you guys have built a decent amount of spec E46 cars now too. Um, what do you think the draw of that class is? I know Justin and I have talked in, in shows before, um, but that class seems to be growing pretty quickly too. Oh, yeah, absolutely, it is. Um, first off, I think that 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 the sanctioning bodies, in this case NASA and SCCA to a degree, uh, they realize that. 
look, the last spec E30 was, or the last E30 chassis was built in 1991. Yeah. And so we're running out of volunteers to become <laughs> race cars. Yeah, it's, what, 25 years ago exactly. now. Exactly. Yeah. And Those in certain states, you could register them as vintage or historic vehicles now. Uh, All is, of them. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, spec E th or, or E36 as a chassis kind of fell through the cracks. Mm -hmm. um, and I think partially because of the popularity of spec E30 and it was just rocking and rolling. Why even, why even bother with an E36? Yeah. And I know then, they had spec 3 for a little while, but it never really it, caught on. It, it really didn't. And and so we still see some E36s at the track, but generally those are going to be in those touring car classes and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And GTS and, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so then al along comes, you know, spec E46. Uh, it was certainly driven by James Clay at Bimmerworld. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And, and hats off to James um, for, for you know, getting that whole thing launched. Um. <sighs> How it really took off, I, I guess, like my feeling is that because of donor cars for Spec E30, Spec E46 took off. Also, I think you had a, a percentage of drivers that, for better or for worse, they were kind of getting bored with Spec E30. Right. I want to make that next jump. Yeah. Now, is that the customers that you guys have that have Spec E46s? Were a lot of them previous Spec E30 guys? Universally. Really. Uh, okay. Universally, without exception to date, uh, every spec E46 car that we have, have built or been involved with, uh, that customer either still drives a spec E30 or has sold their spec E30 and has, you know, graduated into spec E46. Okay. Made that leap. Huh. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like for the most part, a lot of them are dedicated BMW wheel to wheel guys. You know, they kind of like to stay with, with the sure. brand. Um, they just wanted something that was a little bit faster. And it seems like it might be a little more, well, Justin and I talked before, it's a little more versatile, too. You can take it to a track day and or an open track day and still be able to run with some faster cars yeah. and, you know, not have to be you know back with the Miata guys. Not that there's anything wrong with driving a slower car, but at an open track day, sometimes it can be a little frustrating for sure. Right, exactly. Um, um, vers versatile is a good 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 adjective mm -hmm. uh, uh for sure uh we've got one spec e46 customer that uh uh picked his car up we basically uh caged it for him okay and did a few minor mods you know in terms of of uh stuff that he didn't want to do in his garage and he took it back to nevada and because of the liberalness of uh, nevada law he's driving the thing on the street right now <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. So he, I guess technically you could drive it to the track and just throw wheels and tires in it, and you could race in it if you wanted I, to. I suppose you could. Yeah, you could if you wanted to. <laughs> so now um, Justin and I were talking when we were kind of walking around the shop that when Specky 46 first kind of came about, you guys built two cars, right? You built a sedan and a coupe. That is correct. And to see if there were any differences between the two. Uh, was there anything that you guys identified? I, I know there's two sedans here right now. Um, I didn't see a coupe outside at the moment, but... The the sedans, it really comes down to, to driver preference. Okay. Um, I like sedans because they're easier to work on. Yeah, you don't have to like, especially with bucket seats, right? 
You don't have to like crawl in between them. Right. Or... <laughs> um, they're they're easier to cage. Uh, and I also like sedans from an engineering standpoint. They're a stronger car. Yeah. Um, I mean, have have has it been proven that the sedans for the E46 are more structurally rigid? To to my knowledge, it's been proven at the factory. Okay, not not in a racing application, but yeah. but just from a uh, you know a, a BMW Munich application that that yes, it, that a sedan, you know, you got you got one more pillar, uh, you got a little bit more steel, mm-hmm. and to me, anytime you got a pillar and some more steel, it's gonna, be, gonna stronger. be stronger. Yeah, yeah. Now, what's the weight difference between the two? That's a good question. You could hold a gun to my head, and I couldn't answer that. Okay. <laughs> That's an Ask Justin question. Okay. Yeah, and Justin and I were talking earlier. Like, we'd love to figure out how to build a wagon, but apparently he's already he's already asked, and the answer has already been no. That's going to go over <laughs> like a skunk in a submarine. Yeah. What about uh, what about convertibles? Just like uh, Specky Thirty had at one point. I well. I don't. I don't. Or I don't a, conver- envision, a convertible. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Now there's a convertible. <laughs> Um, I don't envision that occurring because, let's face it, there's plenty of cars out there. Yeah. The, one of the challenges with Spec E46 is, for example, if 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 you if you figure they built 500,000 of those cars, um, spread that out across 323i, 325i, 328i, and 330s, 330s. Yeah. Well, obviously, you want a 330. Yeah. So there's challenge number one. Now, if they built 500,000 of them, I'm going to guess just using numbers, raw numbers that we're throwing around, 450,000 of those were automatic transmissions. Yeah. So now your second challenge is you've got to find a 330 with a stick shift. Yeah. You can do a conversion, but it's a pain. Um, and the electronics are certainly a little bit more advanced than a spec E30. So you've got that challenge as well. We can easily overcome that. Because we've got the, the the equipment, so to find a three thirty in a manual transmission, sometimes it comes down to here's what we found you. Yeah, <laughs> this is what we're building. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and I know the uh, ZHP cars aren't eligible, right? No. Yeah. So, which is a bummer, man, because I, I kind of wanted to buy a ZHP as a daily driver yeah. and then, like, eventually be able to turn it into a car, into, you know, a donor, but I guess that wouldn't work. Well, you'd have, I think you'd have this massive handicapping system, you know, same thing if it was Just a 325i versus yeah. a 330 and you'd be adding weight to the 330 and throw that ZHP into the mix and you'd have a rat's nest yeah. of yeah. rules. <laughs> Now, where where do you see Specky Forty Six kind of ending up? Because um, obviously, you know, we actually we have a couple of listeners that are building cars right now that are moving up through the HPDE ranks, uh, like up in Wisconsin. So, you know, there's people that I know that are you know are still wanting to build cars, and you know, I think sure. it's well. First off, tell those guys that they need to be racing in California, not <laughs> <Yeah>. Wisconsin. <laughs> They'd probably say if they lived in California, they couldn't afford to go racing. <laughs> there is that. Um, you know, I see. I, I don't see Spec E forty six going away. We're only obviously we're only in our second year with it. Yeah. as a class. Yeah, which and, for a second year class, I mean, it seems like 
there's a decent amount of cars that have been built. So that's we were, really exciting. You know, and it, it is exciting because we were talking about it just at lunch today uh, that we have a NASA race uh, next weekend mm-hmm. at Thunder Hill. And we were just counting on our fingertips, you know, who's going to be there. And undoubtedly, we've forgotten somebody, but we counted 12 cars or 12 wow. entries. Wow. You know, that's in its second the year. Beginning of the second year, yeah. Second second race in Northern California, second year, and you got 12 cars. Wow. I, I, I think that's that's a positive sign. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, it just kind of like we were talking about, it kind of... It's a real versatile car that you can do a lot with. Justin and I were talking about how SCCA just opened it up to where you can run the car in T3. Um, so that'll be, you know, give those people that have the cars a chance to get even more seat time mm-hmm. um, with it. And I guess if you wanted to, you could race it in some different NASA classes or a PT class with NASA or um, whatever. If you were in a region where there weren't as many cars, but you thought you might make the trek occasionally to a region that has more of the cars. sure, Or, you know... While you wait for the the class to get built up in your region, yeah, um, I I think what I'd really love to see is you know similar to to the way NASA structures Spec E thirty Spec Miata races where uh, they stagger those starts yeah. if you're on the track at the same time. But really, unless you're a a, a true backmarker, the the leaders will never see each other. Yeah, within those two classes, one one of the challenges that I see NASA if spec e46 continues this this growth pace uh right now they throw them out there with you know you you got you got one race that's spec e30 spec miata you have another race that's uh uh performance touring and i think tt cars no but anyway mm-hmm. then you have a then you have a third race that is included with spec e46 and it's what I call everything else that has wheels on it. <laughs> and and it just gets discombobulated and everything under the sun's out there. Yeah. And I'd love to see it more of a, you know, spec E46 and something compatible that do a step staggered start like they do today with spec E30, yeah. spec Miata. I'd say as the class gets larger, too, it's going to start almost, I don't want to say requiring that, but they'll be a lot more likely to say, okay... Not that you'll get your own race group, but you know we'll group you with some similar, similar exactly. pace cars. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's ultimately going to demand that that NASA raises an eyebrow and takes a closer look at it. Yeah, and that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. that's a great problem for NASA to have. <laughs> so I love the fact that they're already you know after the first season they've already made a few changes to the cars, like going to two fifty fives and right. stuff like that. So that's a good sign. I mean, it means that they're they're in tune with what's going on with the series right exactly so um, there's other series that were out there um i won't name them uh, but one of them started with the last letter of the alphabet that never really caught on uh, a whole lot and i think it might be the fact that they didn't seem to be they just kind of like released the rules uh obviously i didn't race the class so i don't know if they modified them much for the future seasons but um there didn't seem to be as much interest there yeah, well, and, and you know, Spec E46, I think the first iteration of the rules was written down on a cocktail napkin. Yeah. I mean, it was it was pretty short and concise. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time. Um, where can people find out more about you guys, and what do you guys kind of have planned in, in the future here? Well, certainly we've got a full uh, full slate of, of 
racing with with NASA here in the in in, in California, northern and southern. Um, always go to nasanorcal.com and look at that schedule, and you know we'll, we'll be at those events. Okay. Uh, we're just about to launch a new website. Uh, www.control k o n t r o l l e dot u s okay uh so that's going to be up and going here pretty quick that's uh being totally revamped and so that website will actually enter the 21st century and that's pretty <laughs> exciting to, to to see that coming to fruition um and then you can always reach us you know good old telephone okay. 916-636-9526 perfect and, and awesome. ask for me or ask for Justin. And we we love to talk. Ra- yeah, we love to talk <laughs> racing. And uh, oh, don't say that, man. There's a lot of people that have long drives that might just start giving you a call. Well, <laughs> first five minutes free. Yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> then we then we give you the shop rate. <laughs> All right, Dave. Well, we really we really appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, we look forward to seeing more from you guys here in the future. You'll see us, and we thank you for your support. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much.